Good morning, Boker Tov. Great to be back together again learning the Parsha. Great to be back in Boka together learning the Parsha. This morning we have the privilege of studying together Parsha's Shoftim. I want to thank, as always, our generous sponsors of the Parsha series for the year. Still an opportunity to sponsor individual Parsha classes. Please be in touch with our office. We would welcome your uh, sponsorship and partnership. But uh, we thank our dear friends, Becky and Avi Katz and family, who sponsored the series in memory of David Grossman, Becky's father, Le'ilu Nishmas David ben Menachem Manash, is Neshamashev and Aliyah through our study of this beautiful parsha. Shoftim begins in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash on page 1024, 1024. And says the parsha, Shoftim Mishpat Tzedek. The Torah tells us, the Torah instructs us to appoint judges, shoftim, and officers, policemen, modern Hebrew, we call them policemen, shotrim, where, b'chol sharech in all your gates, asher Hashem lokecha nosein lecha it's quoted in the name of chida, it's quoted in the name of countless people, b'chol sharech, all the gateways means, all the openings to our body, to our soul, our two eyes and our ears and our nostrils, our mouth, every orifice, every opening, b'chol sharech, all the gates, we need to have shoftim v'shotrim, we have to be discerning, judicious, we have to be vigilant and careful what image, what ideas we allow in, what we think about, what we look at, how we behave, who we are, shoftim v'shotrim, homiletically we have to put b'chol sharecha. But what I ask you, why the word titain and lecha? This double language, titain lecha. So the told us Yaakov Yosef, the great student of the Baal Shem, of Yaakov Yosef of Polana says the following, why titain lecha? You should have judges and you should have officers, titain, place, or put where? Lecha for you. So the Tzadik says, the Torah is teaching us, Many people have a double standard. When it comes to themselves, they judge favorably. When it comes to ourselves, we assume the best. When it comes to ourselves, we judge in a way where we understand that we couldn't help it, there's nothing we can do. We judge ourselves favorably while we judge others very strictly. Says the Torah, Shoftim v'shotrim, titain, that which you're going to place, the judgment that you're going to have on others, lecha, is the same or should be equal to the judgment that you have on yourself. Titain, the same judgment you're going to view the world, you're going to interpret the actions, the behavior, the thought, the intent, the motivation of the people around you. Titain, the very same judgment you're going to place on others with the assumption of what drives them is lecha, is the same judgment we should have. So if you're willing to give yourself the benefit of the doubt, if you're willing to always excuse or rationalize why you did what you did, then you should do the same in your interactions with others. And if you're unwilling to do that with others, then hold yourself to the same standard. Be unwilling to do that for yourself, for yourself as well. Rav Druk and his wonderful sefer Eish Tamid. Rav Druk also wonders. This word lacha. The pasuk could have easily just said shoftim v'shotrim, judges and officers titain b'chol sharecha. Place them at all your gates. Place them at the entrance to all your cities. Place it at the entrance to your soul. What does it add? The word lacha. 
what is the word lecha contributing to contributing to this? Titain lecha. So he says, Nira habiur a very similar thought, a very similar idea, that before the judge judges others, they should judge themselves. Chazal tells the Gemara Bab Metziah Kovzayin teaches, Kishot Atzmacha, Ve'acher Kach Kishot Achirim. First judge, first to evaluate yourself, and then evaluate others. Zemah Shonem Arkan, Kodem Kol Shovtem Veshotrim Titein Lecha, Sheyishpetu Es Atzmam. Judge ourselves. When you know that you're clean, when you know that you're pure, when you know that you're innocent, then you can judge others. And then it will be a mishpat tzedek. Where? And then mishpat tzedek. First judge yourself. You know, when you point a finger at others, you have three fingers pointing back at yourself. That which we see as a blemish in others, when we're willing to dismiss, when we're willing to judge, when we're willing to assume about others, we're really revealing a lot about ourselves. So this Pasuk, while it's giving us, of course, a national uh, mission or mandate about our attitude and approach towards others, it also very, very much is teaching us about our responsibility towards ourselves. That you should not be in a position that you are uh, judging others, but first, before first, correcting. The Rav Shem Shem Hirsch says that word kishot, which means Chazal here interpreted to mean kishot atzmach means first judge, first fix, first correct or repair yourself and then others. So Rav Shem Shem Hirsch points us to Be'an Arachitz, points us to Brich Shmei. In Brich Shmei we say Araisa kishot, in Vyoy kishot, Kodesh Baruch kishot. Kishot means truth, genuine, authentic, real. Kishot atzmach, be truthful with yourself. Be honest with yourself. And then, we shouldn't tell ourselves lies. We shouldn't distort our view of ourselves. We shouldn't rationalize. The word rationalize is we tell ourselves rational lies. We should be honest with ourselves. Honest with ourselves. And then, so all that is included. First judge yourself. First look at yourself. And only then, can you look at those around you? And then it will be mishpat tzedek. Then it will be just and honest because you're not holding to a double or dual standard. We are first holding and evaluating ourselves. Rav Druk notes another anomaly in this very Pasuk. It begins with, uh, specifically, a Lashon Yachid. It begins in the singular. Shavtu is Lashon Rabbim, is plural. So which is it? Is it the individual, the singular, Lashon Yachid, Shavtim Titein Lecha? Or is it Vishavtu in the Lashon Rabbim, in the plural? And he says the following. We already explained based on the Chidon, the Shlai says, we're talking about the individual, you have to place a, a guard and an officer at every entrance to your body, to your soul. You have to be judicious and vigilant in how we live and how we behave. El what does it mean, Veshatu Asam Mishpat Tzedek? And he therefore suggests the following. Nira Leva Erapi Yisod Shiyastu Rabbaseinu. Kasher Adam Mishazik Belim Arator Shmir Samitzvos. Ain't the Inyan Shilo Bilvat. Ela Mashpiahu Bezeh Akola Olam Kulo. You see, when we improve ourselves, when we elevate ourselves, when we are more careful ourselves, when we behave in a better way ourselves, we don't only improve ourselves, it trickles down, it overflows. It has an impact and it lifts all those around us. The opposite is also true. 
If a person slips or slides, if a person is more lackadaisical or casual in their attitude towards Torah and mitzvot, if their fire is dimmed or extinguished, if the person is much more relaxed, then the people around them are going to become uninspired as well. We are a product of our environment. The Rambam says you have to choose so carefully where you live because socially our friends and our neighborhood, our neighbors and our environment, both nature and nurture have an enormous impact on us and we have that enormous impact on it. And that's what the Pasuk is coming to tell us, he suggests. That why does it switch? Why does it transition from the singular to the plural? That shoftim v'shoftim titein l'cha individually and then v'shoftu esa'am in the plural collectively to teach us that the decisions and the attitude that we have for ourselves doesn't only impact ourselves, but will impact those around us. It's true in a virus, it's true in wearing masks, it's true in distancing and behavior, and it's true metaphysically, it's true spiritually, it's true the spiritual viruses that can contaminate and that can be transmitted as well. Our attitude, our approach, our vigilance is not just about us. It's not an individual sport. It's a team sport. It's a team world. And the attitude that we bring will have a much more global impact. And that's what the parsha is beginning by telling us, that the judges, the judgment that we have, and the judgment that we use, what's safe, what's correct, what's moral, what's ethical, what's appropriate, the shoftim v'shotrim, the judgment that we use, and the vigilance, the officers that we place around our behavior and our attitude, it begins with l'cha, what we choose for ourselves, ends with v'shoftu in the plural, will impact the greater number will impact the greater amount, and therefore we have to be very careful in our choosing how we're going to behave and being very, very careful and clear in how we use our judgment. The Pazik then addressing now the, uh, the judges. A judge has to not pervert judgment. You're not allowed to respect someone's presence. Don't accept bribes. Why? Bribery is pernicious. Bribery is odious. Bribery corrupts. Bribery compromises justice. Don't accept shochad. And why should you not accept shochad? Well, the Pasuk tells us why. Chazanish holds it's a chok. Chazanish writes in Amun and Bitachon that shochad, that accepting bribery, is not really a uh, rational law, but it's a chok. And how does he know it? Because he says, the shochet, who has a lot of money invested in the Shechita, uh, whether the animal is kosher or not kosher, the shochet is believed regarding his own shechita. A person is believed regarding their own kashras. A rav can paskin regarding his wife's own need, the shailas. So you see that even though one is, so to say, has a bias, nevertheless, they're allowed to judge in those cases. Shochet, he concludes, is a chok. But most disagree. And they say it's not true. Shochet, bribery, is a, uh, is a very rational rule. And the Pasuk itself here tells us the reason why. It blinds, it clouds the eyesight, the judgment, the vision of whom? Of the Chachamim. It's a very powerful Pasuk. It means who is prone to bribery? Who is vulnerable or susceptible to having their opinions swayed by a bribe? Not just the wicked or the evil or the corrupt. It says, it blinds the eyes of the wise and visalef it makes crooked whom the divrei tzadikim. So you see that bribery is something that can affect, that can compromise not only those who are corrupt, but even those who are wise and those who are righteous. That's how powerful, that's how impactful, that's how penetrative it is. We gave uh, three or four shiurim about shochad and protects here earlier this year. You could listen on my website, RabbiEphraimGoldberg.org or on YU Torah. 
and we applied it to modern applications of questions. The bribery scandal that happened in the world earlier this year, you remember that? There was a, in, in our lives, we're divided between pre-corona and after corona. So you may remember pre-corona, there was a whole scandal of those college admission bribery scandals. But those scandals and that protects you happens all the time, not only in college, secular college campuses, it happens in yeshivas and chadarim and kolalim. Who do you know and how much did your grandfather donate and what's your connection and how do you get in? And we gave a series of shirim approaching this question. But that's how shochad, it has that impact on the uh, on chachamim and sadikim. The pasuk earlier in Shmos on Perach of Gimel, shochad osikach ki shochad yaver pikchim v'salev tivrei tzadikim. There the pasuk doesn't say it clouds the judgment of the wise. It says pikchim, those who are clear-sighted, those who are bright. It's not just that if you're stupid, you accept a bribe. People who are brilliant accept a bribe. That's the power, that's the temptation of bribery. It appears no less than three times in the Torah. It appears once in Tehillim. Tehillim Tezvav, one of my favorite prakim of all Tehillim, a very short parak that talks about what is the description, what are the criteria of a righteous person. Kaspo donosan beneshach, it's a person who doesn't lend with interest. Vishochar al naki lo lakach, and a person who never accepts bribery against the innocent. A person who behaves in that way will never be shaken, will never be abandoned forever. That is the righteous lifestyle that a person should aspire to, David HaMelech describes. And in the uh, behaviors or character traits of the truly righteous, David HaMelech includes shochad al-nakilo lakach. That is our parsha, the prohibition of accepting shochad. The Gemara Ksubis teaches us about this pasuk, about this prohibition of shochad, that it doesn't just mean if you change your mind. It's not just bribery is prohibited if it actually sways your opinion. Even if you stay with your opinion, you're forbidden to accept the bribe. So you're going to accept that student anyway. You're going, to ju- you're going to rule in the favor of that particular litigant anyway. Nevertheless, it's prohibited to take a bribe. Why should that be? Why should that be? So Sfasemis writes, Losika shochar on parsha. Hatam mishpat Because justice and truth really belong to God. When we are analyzing, when we are adjudicating, when we are trying to conclude what is true, what is just, what is right, what is righteous, it shouldn't come from our boich, it shouldn't come from our intuition or our instinct. It has to come from the pursuit of trying to reveal the will of Hashem, the Ratzon Hashem. Because that's the only true truth. That is the only authentic. And that's what Svas Amis explains. The Gemara uses a language, a Lashon, Hadon Din Emes Amito, A Dayan, a justice, a judge, who has done Emes Amito, who is trying to discover or pursue, or rule the truth in the truth. It's a very clumsy or awkward expression. What does it mean to be done din emes la'amito? How do you rule the truth in the truth? And that's what the Sfasema suggests. He says, you know, you could come to the truth by accident. A broken clock is right twice a day. You could come upon the truth, you could stumble upon it by accident. You could also come to it for the wrong reasons and the wrong conclusions. You can come to the conclusion that is true not out of emes, but out of sheker. You were bribed. You happen to judge in favor of what's right, but you were bribed to do it. That's what the Torah is telling us. Shochad lo, don't accept bribery. Even if it doesn't sway your opinion. Even if you rule what's correct. Why? Because our mission is to be done din emes, amito. Not only to come to the right conclusion, but to come to it for the right reason. The right conclusion for the right reason. Because that's how we draw close. That's how we connect that's how we stick to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's how we reveal His goal, His vision for this world. Only when you seek the truth, 
with the power of the Torah that's true, can you really cling to the source of truth? But when a person is willing to hear bribery, show favor, be swayed, even if you're correct, then it's not truth. It's not din done din emes la'amito. Not only are you prohibited from offering a bribe, the Rambam in Hechos Sanhedrin, Perach of Gimel says that the judge is forbidden from taking the bribe. Why? Because of Lifnaiver, Lo Sitein Mechshol, a prohibition of Lifnaiver. You're not allowed to accept a. You're not allowed to accept a, a bribe. Okay. Torah then continues. Pasachaf Tzedek Tzedek Tirdof you have to pursue tzedek. Now, did the Torah all of a sudden develop a stutter? Why is the Torah being redundant? Tzedek, tzedek tirdof. What is added by the dual double language of tzedek, tzedek? Righteousness, righteousness shall you pursue. Tzedek, tzedek tirdof. My uh, brother-in-law's father is a federal judge in New York, and in his chamber he has these words, tzedek, tzedek tirdof, written, this is what he has, the Torah, he is uh, prescribing his attitude towards justice. Why the double language? Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdof. Why not just Tzedek? So Rav Simcha Bunim, Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshischa says, Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdof. Shigames HaTzedek, Tirdof. Yesh Lassos Boofen Shot Tzedek. Bedrachem Ruyos Vinoz Shekein, Kedei Lahasig Matara Kedoshet Tzarech Lishtamesh Be'emsan Kedoshim. Beloka Osam Harut from Tzedek, Uvedarchem Romsim Esakol. Rav Simcha Bunim has a penetrating insight and such an important insight in our time and for all times. He says the dual language, Tzedek Tzedek Tirdof, means Tzedek Bitzedek Tirdof. Pursue righteousness with righteousness. You know, you see sometimes people have a righteous ends and they pursue it with a very unrighteous means. So they have a very righteous, noble ends. They're trying to fight for justice, fight for the vulnerable, fight for the downtrodden, fight for the targeted, fight for the discriminated against. But they do so in such an unjust way. Look at some of the movement we're seeing in our time, standing up to oppose racism. That's wonderful. All good people should participate in a movement that opposes racism. But rioting, looting, discriminating against others, that's not Sedek Bitzedek Tirdof. That's an extreme example. There are much less uh, extreme examples in, in shul politics, in life, in the workplace. Sedek, people have a noble and just uh, cause that they're fighting for but they fight for it in very innoble and unrighteous ways. And that's what the Pasuk is telling us, says Rav Simcha Bunim, Tzedek, bit Tzedek Tirdof. Pursue justice with justice. But the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Daf Lamed Beis, has a different interpretation of Tzedek Tzedek. The Gemara there says, Tzedek Tzedek Tirdof, Echad din ve'echad l'pshara. The reason it's repeated twice is to tell us that there is not only one kind of justice, there are two kinds of justices. That doesn't sound very just. That sounds corrupt. What do you mean there are two kinds of justices? How could that be? So the Gemara says, there's a tzedek of din, and there's a tzedek of pshara. There's a tzedek of the absolute rule. What is the absolute correct thing to do? Absolute justice, objective justice. But there's also a tzedek, there's a righteousness to pshara. Pshara means compromise, the spirit of compromise. Compromise by definition is not staying true to what is just. When you reach a compromise, you're not following the strict letter of the law you're actually compromising. Whenever I mediate, whether it's uh, two partners in a fight or marriage or whatever scenario, I always introduce the mediation by saying that we're looking to create a compromise and the definition of a compromise is something neither party is happy about, but both parties can live with. 
The spirit of a compromise is something you're not necessarily happy about, but you could live with. If you were happy with it, then you would have gotten your way. Maybe that's just, but it's not a compromise. A compromise is something that neither party is necessarily happy about, but both can live with. That's not unjust. A compromise is also a form of justice. Tzedek Tzedek Tirdov, Echel din Ve'echel Pshara. Sometimes there's din, sometimes there's something that's absolutely correct. Excuse me, and sometimes there is a spirit of a compromise. And a compromise is also a form of something which is, which is correct, which is correct. The Gemara wonders, Ketzad, and the Gemara gives an example. Two boats are passing in the river, and they encounter one another. Who gets to go first? What are the ethics of lines? That's what we did in this series, three or four or five parts, I forgot how many, about the laws of bribery, of protectia, of lines. What are the ethics of lines? We went through a number of shilas. But what are the ethics, what are the halachas that guide the formation of a line? Who gets to go first? Can anyone cut the line? Can the vulnerable, the weak, the disabled, the poor, can a Talmud Chacham cut the line? Is anyone entitled to use protectia to get in earlier to cut the line? We saw that in questions of supermarkets. We saw that in the case of organ donor or organ recipient lines. We saw that from the small to the, uh, to the large. Can you use protectia to cut a line? What are the ethics and what are the halachas of it? I encourage you, uh, if you're interested, to listen. We addressed some fascinating, fascinating shilohs. Hashuke Chemer of Zilberstein had a fascinating question. He was asked, apparently, there was an Einfall. Somebody had a great idea. They walk into a supermarket, and there's always long lines to check out, so they had a great idea. They put the cart online at the checkout, empty, and then they walk around and start shopping. And as they collect their goods, they put it in the cart that's already moving on the line. And by the time they're done getting their things and have filled their cart, their cart is at the front of the line. Is that correct? Is it correct? Morally, ethically, halachically, is it correct? Is it permissible? That and other fascinating questions like it. Torah then goes on and tells us, you're not allowed to plant an idolatrous tree, an asherah, a tree that's bowed down to a form of idolatry. You can't plant it where? Near the Mizbech. What's the connection between an idolatrous tree and judges and justice? We spoke about that in previous Parsha classes. It is a fascinating question. You're not allowed to offer an animal with a mum. It's a form of a of a to'eva. It is a form of a abomination to Hashem. Uh, we have the death penalty for one who worships idols and uh, so on. Okay, Perak Yud Zayin Ches, page 1026 in the Arts Scroll Stone Chumash. If a matter of judgment is hidden from you, what happens? You live where you live and you have shilas, you have questions, you're not sure exactly how to observe properly the halacha. What do you do? There are debates. There are, uh, there's um, more than one opinion. Ki pale mimcha, the word pele, pale means it's a pele. It's a pella. Rashi says, Ki palei, kol hafla lashon havdala uprisha, sha'adala nivdal umechusa mimcha. A pella, a wonder, means that it's something which is obscured from you, something which is covered from you. You don't have access to it. You are, you are um, distanced from it. It's nivdal, umechusa. And you don't know what the halacha is. What's this mean? Bein dam ladin is bein dam tam ladam tar. Questions in nida. Bein din ladin is bedin zaka ladin chayev. Our questions in in uh, civil law, you don't know who is right and who's wrong, who ob- who's obligated, who's exempt. When it comes to laws of tsaras, when it comes to fights, what do you do? 
you get up and you go to the place, i.e., you go to the place that I've chosen. Again, a throwback to last week's parsha. We talked about, we talked about last week's parsha. Why doesn't Hashem give us the coordinates? He never tells us where it is. Where is this Beis Hamikdash? Where is this mysterious Makom Hashem We talked about last week the Ramban, Rabbi Salavechik, that we're supposed to magnetically be drawn to it, intuit it. We're supposed to want to, um, on our own, search and discover holiness and find it. So when you have these questions, you're supposed to go specifically to this place. And uvasa la konim, you'll come to the konim, the levim, hashofet ashibamemheim, vederashta vagidlocha, you'll ask them, and they will tell you, apia Torah, asha yerucha. This is the source of rabbinic law, rabbinic authority. The Torah here is telling us exactly. Hashem says, I gave you a Torah, I gave you a written Torah. But you also have rabbis, and they are the ambassadors, they are transmitting the oral Torah. And when a question rises, do not stray from what they tell you, right or left. Losasor is the power of rabbinic law. So why do I have to keep Hanukkah and Purim? And why is it that I can't go swimming on Shabbos or I have to observe other forms of rabbinic laws in my life? Why do I have to keep all these rabbinic laws? So the Torah says, Losasor. Observing rabbinic law is a biblical law. The Rambam and the Ramban have a famous discussion. If that's the case, why do we say, Savik Dorais Lechoma, Savik Dorabana Lekula? That a doubt in a biblical law were strict, a doubt in a rabbinic law were lenient. Every rabbinic law really is a biblical law. So really, every doubt in a rabbinic law is a doubt of a biblical law. It's a great discussion between the Rambam and the Ramban, not for now. But Losasur, observing rabbinic law, has an element of observing a biblical law because the Torah empowers and charges the rabbis to be the ones who interpret and to be the ones who, who uh, institute laws, laws that are safeguards for us and laws that are new laws for us to observe. The Shlach Kadosh, the Shnei Luchas Abris, or Yishai Horowitz, has another beautiful understanding and interpretation homiletically of what this Pasuk means. And he says the following. Listen carefully. We're still in Chodesh Av. Elul has not yet begun. We're still in the month in which we mourned, in which we mourned the destruction, the devastation, the distance from the Shekhinah and the causes of it. And he says the following. The Shlach Kadosh says this Pasuk is describing Medaber Be'inyan Achurban. Ki Palei Mimcha. If you wonder, you're sick and tired. And you want to understand, I don't understand. When it comes to the blood of an animal, the Torah says, after you shech the animal, you have to cover the blood. And yet Jewish blood flows freely. And so many of our ancestors weren't even given the privilege of a proper burial. When it comes to animals, the Torah says, You're not allowed to shecht an animal at its child on the same day. It's cruel. And here we have mothers and their children, families who were slaughtered simultaneously. I don't understand. When it comes to a house that is afflicted with saras, we take out all of its contents in order to save and preserve them. And yet your holy base on Mikdash, it was burned to the ground with everything in it. Ki mimcha davar, says the Shlach Kadosh, the Pasuk means, ki you've reached a point of wonder. You don't accept, how can it be, Hashem? Why do you have such a dual standard? Bein dam ladam, the way you ask us to treat the blood of animals between the way our blood is treated. Bein din ladin, the laws that pertain to not showing cruelty to the animal, and look how much cruelty has been shown to the Jew. Between our possessions, all this, 
איך לא חס הקדוש ברוך הוא הכבודם של ישראל והכבוד שמה הגדול המחולון כפר גויים? How could God not be more careful, more protective of his honor and our honor? בין דם לדם, בין דין לדין, בין נגע לנגע. And the answer is, says השלה הקדוש, keep reading in the פסוק. You know what the answer is if you wonder? You know what the answer is if you don't understand? דברי ריבוס בשעריך. It's because of the דברי ריבוס. Because of the machlokas. Because of the infighting, because of the baseless hatred, the sin of Shinam, because of the way you treat one another. If you want to know why there is this duplicitousness, why there's this dual standard, why the world treats us differently than the way we're supposed to behave, being din ladin, dam ladam, nega lanega, divrei rivos b'sha'arecha. The answer is because of our infighting, because of the way we treat one another, because of our attitude, because of our baseless hatred. When we don't treat one another correctly, then the world has no problem mistreating us as well, says La Shlach Kadosh. Maybe homiletically, that's what this Pasuk is alluding to. That's what this Pasuk is hinting at. Okay, so after we've seen the Torah institution of the authority of rabbinic law, that the rabbis are empowered to be the ambassadors, the interpreters, and also the authors of law, we move over to another law, namely the law of the king. You're going to enter the land. There are three laws, the Rambam writes, when you enter the land of Israel, there are three laws that dictate our behavior. We have to uh, conquer the land, eliminate the uh, Malik and the Canaanite nations. We have to establish a king, and then we build the Beis HaMikdash. Does the modern government of Israel have the status of a king? Interesting question in Halacha. The laws that apply to a king, the king is the sovereign of Israel. Does the modern elected government of Israel have the halachic status of a king with implications? Interesting discussion in halacha. What are they empowered or entitled to do? So when we enter the land, we have to follow this threefold formula and do these three things. And the Torah here describes it as, Marta, you will say, Asima alecha melech. You will want that king. The king has to arise from among you. You can't have a king. A king cannot be from a convert or from those who did not originate. The Sifri says here, It's a king, not a queen, from which the Rambam uh, deduces that positions of authority are prescribed specifically for men, not for women. Not because women are not trustworthy, not because women are not capable or competent, but these positions of authority also demand a certain level of cruelty. One has to be able to go to war and battle. One has to be able to switch off their kindness and their predisposition towards empathy to be able to uh, enact and exact what a king demands. And the Torah doesn't want women who have a more maternal instinct to suppress that or quiet that in order for what it takes. How does that apply? Rabbi Salavechik applied Melech Velo Malka, the Sifri Halacha Lamaisa. Rabbi Salavechik felt that a woman should not be a president of a shul. Others disagree and say Melech Velomalka is a medrash, but it doesn't apply in halacha, and are more liberal. It's ironic that Rabbi Salavechik, who's thought as uh, the, the posek and the gadol of uh, the more modern, so to say, community, took that hardline position on female presidents of shuls. Others take more, more lenient positions, but there is a whole discussion of Melech Velomalka, positions of what's called surara, the Rambam calls surara, authority. Again, not because there's incompetence or lack of trust, but because what are we trying to cultivate, which behaviors or what, uh, what instinctive gender attitudes do we want to preserve as opposed to want to, want to suppress. The Belzereb has a beautiful insight because the Torah tells us about this king, there are several laws, laws that govern the king. Number one, lo yarbe lo susim, he can't have too many horses. Lo yashim v'sam Yisraimah l'man harbos ha-sus, v'ashem ha-marlach, and lo susim v'lashem 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 v'
because the king is going to want to increase his stables, want to increase his collection of horses, will be drawn back to Egypt, which is where horse breeding took place, but we're not allowed to go back to Egypt. We're not supposed to go back there geographically, physically, and we're not supposed to go back there in our mentality, with superstition and so on. We graduated, we move on, we freed ourselves. The king can't have too many wives, and should not pursue too many riches. When the king is on his throne, the of The halacha is that the king has to write a sefer Torah. The king has to have his own personal sefer Torah. It is one of the halachas. He has to write. Kosov lois mishnah Torah zos al sefer and the king will have this Torah with him and he'll read from it all of his days so that he will learn to have all of Hashem and to observe all of Hashem's Torah and his laws so that he does not become too haughty or arrogant over his brothers. You know, if you're in a position of being a king, you have a palace and a throne, you can off with someone's head, you can call for a capital punishment, your ego can get somewhat stoked, you can get uh, inflated, you can get arrogant. What is the antidote? What does the Torah prescribe to be able to offset the um, inclination towards arrogance that a king would follow? It is to have a Sefer Torah. To have a Sefer Torah. Learning Torah, living Torah, carrying a Torah. Sefer Torah is what will fight and offset that, that inclination. The Belzerebbe, the Sar Shalom of Bells, says, Mikerev Achecha. How is it? How is it? Um, he interprets this Pasuk, by drawing close to your brothers, your sisters, by being someone of the people, by being a person who loves other Jews, who's kind and compassionate and good and accepting, So how is it that Tasim Alecha Melech? By being Mikarev Achecha. By being Mikarev Achecha. That's how you should, Som Tasim Alecha Melech, Mikarev Achecha. You can place Hashem as your Melech, how? Mikarev Achecha, by getting along with Hashem's other children. You can't claim to love God and mistreat His other children. They go together. They go together. Rashi says, what's the purpose of the Torah? Why is he carrying the Torah? So Rashi says, um, not one Torah, but two Torahs. Shtei Sifrei Torahs. One Torah stays home with him, and one Torah comes with him at all times. It is the king's spiritual compass. It reminds the king of his bearings, his context, to whom he reports his sacred mission. The king carries two Torahs, one that is at home, and a second Torah that he carries with him off on the road. We're on Perak Yitzayin, Pasuk Yudches. The Ramban here, for those who are following inside, have them across Kedolos. The Ramban here describes... Why does he have this Torah? But Tam, Vaisa Imo, a Torah in his care is Karabo, Besefer in his car. While Derecha Emes, Vaisa Imo, a Torah Atmatia Imo, Kiderach Hashem, Vyashov Shlomo, Kisa Hashem, Lamelech. The Ramban says the king has to internalize these lessons of Torah to the extent that they remain with him all the days of his life. Learn the Torah. The Torah is the guide, the Torah is the moral compass, the Torah is that anchor. Because the king, as they engage in diplomacy or warfare, the king, as they encounter the opulence, of royalty, the king can easily sway or be swayed, and therefore the Torah is their compass, the Torah is the anchor, and that's why he has to have a, a Torah. The Chsam Sofa writes, Chsam Sofa al Torah, Parashashoftim writes, the Torah has to be in the possession of the kings all the time because the king has to make difficult decisions. 
A king has to decide with whom to engage in diplomacy, with whom to make peace, what to give up for that peace, what level of taxes to levy on the land, how to react to a pandemic. A king has to make nearly impossible decisions all the time. And so the king carries that Torah to remember that the king should not make those decisions arbitrarily or randomly or his own intuition. It is the authority of the Torah that should determine the king's conclusions. That we have a guide. The Torah is supposed to tell us how to behave and how to think. The Torah should guide uh, exactly the conclusions that we come to. The Torah, now he didn't just have one Torah. He had two Torahs. The Gemara Sanhedrin Dachavav tells us that there were two Torahs. Even though the Pasuk just says, that there's one Torah, Mishnah Torah, that's written for him. The Gemara Sanhedrin learns there are two Torahs, one back in the palace and one he carries with him all the time and wherever he goes. The Rambam writes that there is a different law with these two Torahs. One of the Torahs can be inherited, one of the Torahs he can receive in Yerusha. Let's say the monarchy is being passed on in succession within the family, so one Torah he can inherit. The second Torah he has to specifically write or commission originally on his behalf. What does that mean, these two Torahs? One can be an inheritance and one he has to write on his behalf. So my son-in-law recently at his Ufraf said a beautiful insight from the Medrash Talpiot who said the following. He says that the idea is that there's one attitude we have towards Torah. There's one lifestyle of Torah that we have that we got as an inheritance. There's a part of our Torah way of living, a part of our Torah life, which we got from those who came before our minhagim, our attitudes, our appreciation, our love, our passion from our parents and from our grandparents, from our ancestors, from our community. But the other form of Torah is the Torah that we have to write ourselves. We can't just rely on, we can't lean on, we shouldn't be satisfied or complacent with the Torah that we received. We have to write our own Torah. We have to author our own destiny. We have to create our own, our own path towards a relationship with Hashem. It has to be uh, both of these, the two Torahs, the one that we receive in inheritance, be Yerusha, and the other Torah that we, the other Torah that we write. Okay, the Imre Chaim also has an insight into this obligation of writing a Torah. The Imre Chaim says the following. The Imre Chaim, you know I was going to quote one. Because of those Mishnah Torah Zos, Perish Rashi states the free Torahs, Achashi Munachas Basin Azava, Achash Nechnes Viotis Imo. Rem is Lakol Israel. This is an allusion and a hint to all of us. I understand, but I'm not a king, so why does this law apply to me? Kol Yisrael Bene Malachim Him. We saw in last week's parasha, We are children of Hashem. And as children of Hashem, if you are a child of a king, then you are a prince or a princess. Then you are royalty. So therefore these laws apply to all of us. Says the Vishnu Tzarebbe, says the Helege Imre Chaim, what the Torah is telling us is that we as Malachim, we as kings, we as royalty also have to have two Torahs. The Torah that's at home and the Torah that's on the way. That means to say that we shouldn't think that the moment I leave my house and I go to work, I go to the gym, I go to the supermarket, I go on vacation, I go on a trip, I don't have the Torah anymore. I have a more lenient Torah. I have a more lax Torah. I have a more permissive Torah. No, it's the same Torah. There's the Torah of my home that guides my behavior, my attitude, my relationships, my conversations in my home. And there's the Torah I had to take with me on the way. There's the Torah that tells me be honest and truthful, have integrity at work, be kind and courteous, be compassionate, empathetic. There's the Torah of home and the Torah at work. It's the same Sefer Torah. It's the same Sefer Torah. There's no difference in the Torah. The same rules that guide and regulate who I am and how I behave, it's the same Torah. But there's the one at home and the message that it has to also come with me on the way. It has to guide and inspire my path even as I, even as I go. We continue. After the laws of the king, the priestly gifts, 
that we support the Kohanim and Levim, they serve the people, they are the community kolal, they are the Rabbanim, they are the clay kodesh, and therefore they didn't get their own land. They are supported by the people who are grateful for the model they set and the teaching that they, that they offer. So we have the priestly gifts that are given to the Kohanim and the Levim, moving right along. Prophecy, Hashem sends for His prophets, and here in this context, the Torah tells us, Perk Yirches, Pasuk Yud Gimel. Perk Yirches, Pasuk Yud Gimel. Tamim Tiyeh, Mashem Alakecha. Uwa, Tamim Tiyeh, Mashem Alakecha. Rashi says, His halach imo betmimus, betetzapalo, velo tachkor achar hasidos. Ela koma sheyava alecha, kabel betmimus. Vaaz tiyeh imo ulechelko. Uwa, what a mission, what a motto, what a bumper sticker. Tamim Tiyeh, Mashem Alakecha. This is it. Hey, look at friends, this is exactly what the Torah is telling us it's all about. Tamim tiyah im Hashem lokecha. A person needs to be tamim. Tamim means don't look at horoscopes. And don't look at other, don't worship other sources. And don't be impressed by power or celebrity or fame. Tamim tiyah, be tamim. Have an exclusive relationship, a monogamous relationship, a reliant and dependent relationship. With whom? Al Hashem lokecha. Be tamim only im Hashem lokecha. That's how we are to live our lives. Tamim im Hashem lokecha. Be tamim with him. Be tamim with him. The tzaddik of Pinchas of Karat says the following: Im Hashem lokecha, tamim Hashem lokecha. We have Im Hashem lokecha. This notion that we have to be tamim, you should not pursue horoscopes and don't look at other things that predict your future and don't believe in superstition, silly superstition. Only believe in Hashem lokecha. By the way, Machlokis Ramban and Rambam, whether those other silly superstitions are silly at all. Maybe astronomy, astrology, superstitions. Maybe there's truth to it. Maybe we can, in fact, see our fate and our future by studying the cosmos. The Ramban says there is truth in it, but we're not supposed to look. We're not supposed to rely. Ain mazal Yisrael, we rely on Hashem. The Ramban says the whole thing is narishkeit and silliness to begin with. But the Tzadik of Pinchas of Karth points out that there's two psukim in the Torah, two mitzvahs in the Torah that have the word im Hashem lokecha, one in Torah, one in Nach. Ours, tamim tiyeh Hashem lokecha, be pure, be complete, be holy, be focused, be exclusive, be singular with Hashem. And the second is, Hatsneya leches imelokecha. Hatsneya leches, be modest, be humble with Hashem. With these two midos, hatmimas vatsneas, yachol adam laharim al brios lasos atzmo ketamim oketsanua, vishlo yakir boki eno kezeklal, vishim kachnem ar im Hashem alokecha. A person can walk around and they can act like they're a tamim or they're tsanua. A person can, in public, or for their own notoriety, for their own honor, a person can act like they're such a righteous, holy roller in these two ways. Says with the tzaddik, Repinchas of Karas, no, im Hashem lokecha. Hashem really knows. Bechadri chadarim, when no one's looking, when no one's watching, im Hashem lokecha. The real measure of whether you're a tamim or whether you're a tzanua is not vis-a-vis your relationship with others, but the real measure of whether you're a tamim or a tzanua is im Hashem lokecha. It's how you behave. It's how you behave when you are with Hashem. Im Hashem lokecha. With Hashem lokecha. I forgot where I saw it. The tamim. Tamim, im Hashem lokecha. If you want to be with God, then you have to be a tamim, a tamimistic person, like Yaakov Avinu, Ishtam Yoshev Olim. You have to be a tamim. If you're a person who does shtick, if you do shtick on your income taxes, shtick in your interaction with others, shtick in your following of the rules, if you're not tamim, if you're not a pure and a holy and an innocent person, if you have other calculations and compromises that you're making corruptions, then you're not imashem Hashem If you want to be imashem Hashem then the prerequisite is Tamim. You have to be a Tamim if you want to qualify to be Im Hashem Elokecha. Torah continues and it goes on and it tells us yet again, yet again, the laws of the Ir Mikla. 
When you're going to enter the land and you're going to eliminate the idolatrous nations, you're going to have to set aside Set aside three, set aside three cities um, for yourselves. We know that an accidental, an accidental murderer um, can be pursued by the surviving relatives of the one who was killed, and you run to the Ir Miklat, that city of refuge. We talked about previously, <coughs> the six cities of refuge are the words, Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekech Hashem Echad. Six words of Shema. Where do we find refuge? Where do we find protection? When we feel we are being pursued, we find it by immersing ourselves in the trust under the protection of Hashem. I want to share with you an interesting halacha when it comes to Ir Miklat. A very interesting halacha. The Pasuk says, V'nas alachasa arim v'chai. You run to one of these cities and you live. Pasuk Dalad. Perak Yates, Pasuk Dalad, page 1034 in the Ars Kroston Chamesh. V'nas, sorry, v'zeh adavar rotzeach, ashe yanu shama v'chai. You run to one of these cities and you will live there. Now the simple understanding is you will live there. What does it mean that you're going to live there if you run to one of those cities? The simple understanding of you will live there is that you will be protected. Remember tag when you were a kid? If you're at home, you're touching the home base, then you're okay. You're a miklot's the home base, you're being protected. But the Rambam interprets it differently. The Rambam writes, Talmud miklot, migalan rabo imo. If a student, if a student of Torah is fleeing to an ir miklot, then his Rebbe goes with him. Shenem vachai, because the Pasuk says that what is the goal of the ir miklot? To live. Aselo kedei So we have to provide for the person who's going to be in the ir miklot, Everything they need to live. If you're a real Jew, if you're alive, if you're a Mavakesh, if you're really one who searches and wants to learn, so to be secluded, isolated, to be in an Ir Mikla with no access to Torah, you might as well be dead. So the Torah says the whole reason that we provide the Ir Mikla is to provide you with life, to provide you with protection. So to not have Torah is to be dead even while you're alive. So if a student has to go to an Ir Miklat, the Rebbe goes. And if the Rebbe goes, the whole yeshiva goes with him as well. Why? Because v'chai. Because the whole reason is v'chai, so that they have life. What you see from here is, The Torah is the oxygen that we breathe. Breathe. The Rambam gets this in the Gemara Makos, Yud. If I would have asked you, you're going to have to go into isolation. You have to go into quarantine. Quarantine. You're going to have to be isolated. You're going to have to shut down. What do you need to take with you? Let's say you have no internet connection. What do you need with you? What would you take? What would you take? Your favorite food? Favorite book? Videos? Water? What would you take? V'chai. What would sustain you? So that's what the Torah is saying is, how could a Jew not say, I would need to take Torah? Some safer. I would need to have it. I would need a Revi. I would need a Rebbe. Because V'chai. The Torah promises that you're supposed to V'chai. And one of the ways that we live is Torah, we are nothing and we can have nothing without it. And as we begin the month of Elul this week, we should remember that. Torah is fundamental, foundational to the core. We mentioned yesterday at Mincha, at Shul, the first Mishnah Pirkei Avos, that the world exists on three pillars, Torah, Avodah, and Gemilas Chasadim. Torah, Avodah, Gemilas Chasadim. And the Menachem Tzion points out, it is specifically in that order. Torah, Avodah, and Gemilas Chasadim. The Torah should inform the Avodah. And the Avodah inspires the Gemilas Chasadim. And it has to be in that order. When Yaakov sent his sons down to, down to Yosef, to Egypt, they went to Goshen. First, they set up a base medrash. First, we need Torah. It's the air, the oxygen we breathe. It's the nourishment we have. Without it, we'll wilt away. Without it, we'll shrivel up and die. We cannot exist without the study of Torah, the inspiration of Torah, without Torah. And that's how he interprets the Menachem Tzion. The Gemara says 
why didn't uh, Kaddish Baruch destroy the Batei Mikdash? Sha'azvam as Torasi, the Navi Yirmiyahu says, what does that mean? We abandoned his Torah. Shalom Birchu Batorah Tchila. We didn't make the bracha on Torah first. They didn't recite the Birchas HaTorah before learning. That's a capital crime that deserves a capital punishment. He says it means Shalom Birchu Batorah Tchila means when we gave a bracha to our children. We gave a bracha to our children. We blessed them to get into an Ivy League college. We blessed them to break the six minute mile. We blessed them to be millionaire, billionaire, trillionaires. What do we bless them for? The first bracha has to be should be a ben Torah or bas Torah. The first bracha has to be that you live a Torah way of life. First bracha has to be that you excel in Torah, and then everything else comes after. So They did it out of order. Torah Torah has to be the very first bracha we give, our very first hope, aspiration, ambition in our lives. If a person has to flee to an ear miklat, we have to provide them with Torah because you simply cannot live. You cannot be alive without the holy, without the Halakha Torah. Torah then talks about going out to war. Going out to war. And the Kohen Meshuach Muhammad gives a speech and a motivational talk to inspire the people. Who's eligible to go to war? Who do we keep home? Who do we keep home from war? So Torah says that if you built a new home, if you planted a vineyard, if you got married and you didn't enjoy the benefit of any of those three new things, then you stay home. Then you stay home. Oh, also there's a fourth category. Who is that fourth category? Perachav Pasuk Ches, page 1040. The officers continue and they say, Who is the one who's fearful, faint-hearted? Go home. Go home. Don't ruin the, don't ruin the, uh, what's it called of the army? Not the motivation. The... Don't ruin the morale. Don't ruin the morale of the army. You're faint-hearted. You're afraid. You're soft-hearted. What does that mean, soft-hearted? So Rashi here explains. What does it mean? Who is this category? The person who built a home but didn't live in it. Rashi says, well, why do you go home if you built a home? and you didn't, Why do we send you back? If you built a home and you didn't let, yet live in it, why do we send you back? So Rashi says, Rashi says, V'davr shal agmas nefeshuzeh. The person who has not inaugurated their new home. We send you back. Why? Because it's Agmas Nefesh. Agmas Nefesh. Agmas Nefesh. Let me ask you a question. If you go to war and you die, do you really care that someone else lived in your home before you ever got to live in it? Is that your biggest problem, that you didn't get to take up residence in your new home and enjoy it? Your biggest problem is that you're no longer here on earth. Your biggest problem is that you were killed at war. You're gone. So the Agmas Nefesh is... A person who's more worried about their things than their life, that's Agmas Nefesh. The person who is more concerned with, more protective of their possessions than they are of their own life, than they value their own life, that should be a cause of Agmas Nefesh that a person should have. So you built a home, but you didn't live in it, or you planted a vineyard, but you didn't drink the wine from it, or you're married, but you're not yet done with your Shana Aleph, then you go home. We don't want you. But who is this fourth category? Who is this individual who is faint of heart, soft-hearted, who's going to ruin the morale? What did they do wrong, and why are we sending them home? So Rashi tells us, who is this individual? Who is this individual? Rabbi Akiva Omer Kemashma, a person who can't see blood. We have a member of our rabbinic staff, I'll protect his identity. If there's a picture, or you describe a scene, or somebody has a cut, there's blood, he'll pass out, fall flat on his face. There are people who can't see blood. There are people who cannot go to war. They can't imagine pulling a trigger. They don't have what it takes to be able to respond in the moment. 
So Rabbi Kiva says that's who we're talking about. Soft-hearted means person who's faint of heart, who's soft-hearted, they can't take it. Rabbi Yossi Aglili, Omer Hayare Me Avera Shabiyado. Rabbi Yossi Aglili interprets it to mean the person who's afraid of the Averas, the mistakes, or the indiscretions, biyado, in their hand, they're sent home. What are these Averas? Avera Shabiyado. The person who has Averos in their hand, they're sent home. Who is this person with Averos in their hand? So the Arachayim HaKadosh, we don't have time, or I'd read it with you inside. The Arachayim HaKadosh says, when a person goes out to war and they're enlisted at the battlefront, it's only natural to be scared, it's natural to be afraid. And to say to yourself, what if I'm unworthy to survive? What if I'm unworthy? What if I don't deserve to come home? The mind will take the soldier to a bad place, and they'll approach the war, they'll go out to battle with fear and with doubt. They'll think about the Averis, the mistakes, the poor judgment they've shown, the violations. They're worried it'll all catch up with them. So that's the Averis. But why is it described as biado? The Averis biado in their hand. Why is it described as biado? So where, where are these Averis? Where do they happen? Don't they happen in your, the fear of the Averis happens in your heart or it happens in your head. Why do we describe, we have to send them home because they'll have doubt and uncertainty, they'll be afraid, and the reason of their fear is because the Averos, the mistakes they made. That, that fear is in the head or the heart. What do you mean, biyado? Rabbi Yosef Bloch, the son of a Rebbe, and his Ginze Yosef explains creatively, he says the Pasuk is telling us the following. When it comes to past mistakes and violations, we know we can always be maharher believe. We can have regret and remorse and commit not to repeat them. We can do tshuva in our heart and repair for the things that we've done. But that which is biyado, the things in our hand, if you've stolen... You can't just decide in your head that you're a Balchuva. You have to repair that, you have to return that which you stole. If you damage someone, you can't just decide in your heart that you're a better person. You have to make whole the person that you harmed. That's what the person fears. Averos Shebiyado. We send home the person who specifically is afraid of the Averos that are where? Biyado. The Imre Amas, the fourth Gay Rebbe, gives a different interpretation. Torah says the person is Rach Levav, they're soft of heart. Soft of heart, carrying something in their hand. Who is this person? Says the Imre Ames. Look at the Psukkin that come right before. We just described the other three individuals we sent home from battle. Built a new home, planted the vineyard, first year of marriage. When it says we send home the person who's soft-hearted and they're carrying something in their hand, we're not adding a fourth category, says the Imre Ames. We are alluding to the first three. What all three have in common is they're distracted. Their thoughts are elsewhere. elsewhere. How could you be expected to go to battle? How can you be expected to be a warrior and to fight to defeat an enemy when you're thinking about that house and you'll never get a chance to live in it? When you're picturing that vineyard and you'll never have the chance to drink from it? When you have an image of your spouse, of your wife, who you've never had the ability to really settle down with? We don't just send home someone who can't stop thinking about what they did wrong. The stakes are so high and the consequences are so grave. We even send home someone who can't stop thinking about something they did right. Nothing wrong with building a home or planting a vineyard and certainly getting married. But those thoughts are extraneous, they're distracting. A person who can't regulate the thoughts, a person who won't be focused, a person who can't quiet the noise in their mind, we cannot afford to risk our future by having them in battle. This is the danger of our time. Pizur hanefesh. Our mind, our thoughts, they're so scattered, they're so fragmented, they're so broken. How can we control our thoughts so we can go to battle? How do we keep our mind from racing so that we can focus on overcoming the Yetzirah, what we need to do? Because the Mephoshim will describe that the battle in these psukim is the battle against our alter ego. It's the battle against our Yetzahara. It's the battle against the voice that is telling us to sabotage. And how does it win? Extraneous thoughts. By contaminating our mind with pollution, 
with noise. And the way to defeat it is to learn to quiet the mind. The way to defeat it is to remove the Aver Shebiyado. Biyado, to not have in our hand juggling so many thoughts simultaneously, but the ability to regulate them. Shoftim Veshotrim. We place policemen and officers at the gateway to our brain, to our thoughts. Not every thought that comes knocking do we have to allow in. We're allowed to reject it. We're allowed to tell it to go home. We don't have to let in every thought that occurs, that occurs to us. There's another interpretation, perhaps. What does it mean? That we send home this soldier who's afraid of the Averis biyado, Averis that is in his hand, the Averis that's in their hand. Maybe what it means is, Averis biyado. Katsuka Rebbe says the issue with the soldier is, they don't know how to move on. They don't know how to put down the poor choices, the bad decisions, the indiscretions. The Averis, everything they ever did wrong in their life, they carry biyado. And they become debilitated and derailed by this image that they can't do better, that they're unworthy, that they can never accomplish. It's biyado. They can't ever put it down. They carry it with them everywhere they go. They carry it with them everywhere we go. Rev. Yitzchak Isaac Sher, the great mashkiach, says, tshuva is not about evaluating the past and getting stuck there. It's not about beating ourselves up or feeling inadequate or incapable or unworthy. Those attitudes, those thoughts, they sabotage our future and they cause us to forfeit our present. They're not at all what it's about. They elicit hopelessness and helplessness. Tshuva is about being able to move forward. Don't carry the Averas biyado. Resolve them. Feel regret for them. Pledge to do better in the future. But don't carry them biyado. Don't carry them around with us all the time. That's what we daven for every night. When we say in Hashkivenu, Vahaser Satan milfanenu meacharenu, Hashem remove the Satan from before me and from behind me. The Satan before me, I understand. Satan before me are the temptations that I'll yet confront. I don't want to eat that, say that, look at that, act in that way. I understand the Satan that is before me. Who is the Satan that is behind me, meacharenu? The Satan that is behind us is the Avera Shabiado when we carry it with us in our hand, when we refuse to put it down or let it go, when we think that we're unworthy and we can't do better, it incapacitates, it debilitates, it helps, it prevents us from becoming the people that we're capable of being. Much more to say on our incredible Parsha, but we'll leave it there for this year. Parsha's Shoftim. Join us tomorrow morning, 8.15 for 10 minutes of Mesil Sasharim, 8.45 for Living with Amuna. Tomorrow night, 9 o'clock, we're going back behind the Bima. Have a healthy, a happy, and a holy day.